Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. Good morning, good morning everybody. It's, uh, we have a little bit of a special event today. As you can see, I'm not TJ, he's uh, at a meeting at New City. Um, but it's sort of exciting for us as a church. I stand here today in front of you as, as one of 10 elders uh, at Trinity Community Church. Uh, and for those of you that's been around for a while, uh, you will know that not too long ago, we only had one elder at Trinity Community Church, and that was Peter Alin. Uh, since then, Peter has decided to leave us in a very obnoxious way and leave, you know, move, move to a different state, you know, and all those type of selfish things. But um, uh, I'm joking. We love Peter and we love his family. Um, and we are a, a fully empowered, spiritual church of God. And that means uh, we believe in prophecy. We believe that God has words for us that have spoken through different people. Uh, and that's why we're going to invite people, Peter up today. He has a word for us that he'd like to share. So celebrate Peter with me if you want. It's true. As Ruan said, there was a time when I was an only elder, but... I got this word that if I leave, the church can really grow and take off. So I'm kidding. That's not the word, actually. Turn to Ezekiel 39. We're going to talk about Gog and Magog. Um, no, I'm, that's a joke, too. Okay. All right. Serious. Yeah. So, um, you know, as, as I was uh, texting with Pastor TJ at the beginning of this month, um, I began to have an impression in my spirit about things that were happening in Trinity and that I wanted to... Uh, share with him. And since we, we came up uh, this weekend, he invited me to, to share those with you. I was reflecting on Proverbs chapter 10, verse 5, which says, he who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but the one who sleeps in harvest is a son that brings shame. Um, this, this great harvest that Trinity and many other churches and universities across the country are experiencing, this is an extraordinary moment. Um, I've done some studying of, of revival history, and when you look at the history of the United States, most of the people who come into the kingdom of God, they come in in one of those periods. They, come, they came in in the First Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, the Businessmen's Revival, the Pentecostal movement that grew out of Azusa Street, the Jesus movement, um, and so many of those salvations that ultimately take place, they take place because at these at these times when the Holy Spirit drew near and there were waves of people coming into God's kingdom, um, the church took advantage of that and they, they, they did it because you, you remember that um, when Jesus in the gospel spoke to Peter, a guy who'd been fishing all night and said, I know you've been fishing all night, but if you do this, you're going to see a catch you've never seen. It takes obedience to do what Peter did when you've been working all night and caught nothing. Um, so I wanted to share with you because um, as I was meditating on this and reflecting on the Gospel of John, there are three very specific ways that we can miss the harvest. And we don't want to do that. Harvests like this of souls coming into faith in Jesus Christ, they don't come along every day. They don't come along every year. And so we want to take advantage. We don't want to be that disobedient son or daughter who sleeps during the harvest. We want to be the prudent son who gathers in all the souls that God's bringing. Uh, three things from the Gospel of John, which come as, uh, in, in a sense, warnings. In John chapter 4, remember that Jews hated Samaritans. If they had a chance, they would take the long way around to get from Judea and Galilee to avoid going through Samaria. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus was there because he had a planned meeting with a woman who was going to hear the Gospel. And when she heard the Gospel, she went back and brought her whole town out to hear and they all came to faith in Jesus, or many, many of them came to faith in Jesus um, because Jesus was willing to go out and do the uncomfortable. He was willing to go out and speak to someone who didn't look like him, who didn't sound like him, um, who had different habits and behaviors so that this village might be reached. The second one um, is from John chapter 6. The harvest comes when we're already overwhelmed. Jesus just found out that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been brutally murdered. Um, he wants to get away to grieve, but he is in a boat, and he crosses to the other side. He lands. There's a huge crowd. So he preaches and preaches and preaches to them. And then we have the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, the only miracle 
besides the resurrection that's in all four of the Gospels because it was such a powerful moment. But if Jesus in that moment had chosen to say, I'm too hurt, I'm too needy, and I can't minister right now, we would not have had that extraordinary miracle. So it, it came first because Jesus was willing to step out, stretch out, and speak to someone who wasn't like him. Secondly, it came because Jesus was willing, even when he could have been overwhelmed with grief and focused in on himself, instead he reached out. And thirdly and finally, the harvest might cause us to have to step out in faith and do things that might even make us afraid. One of the greatest miracles in the Gospels, John chapter 11, is when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, a man who's been dead for four days already. And how does this happen? This happens after his disciple says, Jesus, let's not go up there. Lately, they've been talking about killing you. Let's not do it. Um, and so Jesus says, I'm going anyway, right? There are 12 hours in the day. We have to work. Night is coming when no one can work. And so we're going to go. We're going to uh, do this extraordinary miracle. And so in, in, in Jesus, we see again and again, and that is what, what God is calling Trinity to at this hour. There is an unprecedented harvest that has been coming in, and that will be coming in. And so each one of us is called to go beyond what's comfortable, go beyond what feels natural, maybe speak to people that are out of our way or that we otherwise wouldn't, um, not to allow ourselves to become emotionally overwhelmed and say, I'm too busy or I'm too burdened right now to love those around us. And then finally, to step out in faith, not to give in fear, um, but to have faith. We don't want to be those who are the disobedient sons and daughters who fall asleep when it's time to bring in this harvest we've been praying for and believing for. We want to be those prudent, those wise sons and daughters who bring in and usher in that harvest that's coming through the power of God. One last thing. There are some of you in this room who are so new to the kingdom of God, it's like, well, what is he talking about? He must be talking about the believers who've been in the kingdom a, a long time. Not at all. If you read the end of Matthew 9, Jesus says, look, the harvest is plentiful. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. And in the very next verse, they complete the prayer and say amen. Jesus says, you're the answer to the prayer. I'm sending you out. So that's, the, that's for many of you, um, especially who are newer to the kingdom of God, you may say, well, I'm too new to understand. No, God is calling each and every one of us to be used by him to take his gospel to this community. All right? Let's believe God and pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you're, you're coming with a word of revival, refreshing, and renewal. Thank you that the harvest that we've been seeing is going to increase and grow. Father, I thank you that this is a room full of prudent and wise sons and daughters. They're not going to miss this moment. They're not going to waste this harvest time. God, thank you for the courage to step out and stretch out, speak to those whom we don't know, um, to show love, to show compassion, to turn away from fear, and to embrace faith in you. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you. Thank you, Peter. We honor you and your family and uh, everything you've been through. And we, uh, we prayed for Peter and his family at the first service, but we're just grateful, grateful, grateful for Peter and his family. Uh, such a great example to us. Um, there's a, a lot of connecting the dots going on in my brain at the moment because... Uh, if you remember, when we had our last uh, family fest last year, there was a word also spoken about a harvest. Uh, and we even referred to the cornfield across the way, and we spoke about how lush it was growing and the harvest. So even in our elder meetings, there's been lots of discussions about the harvest and staying awake and being ready uh, for the harvest to come. So uh, special, special times. So uh, firstly, I'm grateful to God because he, um, he opened a trucking company um, with my name on it. So, uh, I, you know, I have so many people that struggle with my name and try and figure out what my name is. So God decided to, um, you, know, you know, start a little trucking company on the side, you know. Most people are like, this is incredible. How many trucks do you have? I see it everywhere. And I'm like, it's not my trucking company. Um, but it is a good reminder. My name is Ruan. I'm one of the, the 10 elders here at Trinity Church. Uh, so it's a blessing to be with all of you. And I, I guess next time you see me, you can just spell out those four letters. But if you do see the trucks on the road, like uh, Missy keeps reminding me, I'm like, please keep praying for me. You know, lottery numbers, important things like that. You know, keep, 
keep praying that that wisdom just fills your heart. But take a note. Let me know what it is. So, you know, we can get this church paid off, right, people? <laughs> so, no, it's a, it's a blessing to be here. Last week we had Vision Sunday, which was a special one. But we actually, today, I'm completing the series, which we started a couple of weeks ago on Breakthrough. Uh, and in that series, we talked about a lot of different things so far. We talked about uh, the breakthrough of victorious living. We talked about the breakthrough of the mind and the battle of the mind and how we think about this life and how we think about things. Uh, and last time when Pastor TJ was preaching, he spoke about beyond brokenness, the breakthrough of going beyond your brokenness and beyond your pain and living in that healthy space. And today, it's my blessing to be able to speak to you guys about fighting for your family, which is something that's very near and dear to my heart. So uh, first thing I want to say, of course, is that um, even if what you perceive to be a family uh, doesn't look exactly like the world thinks it should, you have a family, okay? Those that God has given you, the Bible says, those that God has given to you out of this world, so Theoretically, the first step would be your blood family, those who are close to you, those you are married to, your children. But we all have a family that's broader than that. Right? We have a church family right here. That's part of that, uh, exactly what Peter was talking about. And for us, it's all a posture of being willing to fight for that family. So as I preach today and as I talk today, uh, the question to each one of us and to each one of you is, are you willing to fight for your family? Are you willing to fight for your family? Even though maybe uh, it doesn't look the way the world says it should look. Uh, even though ma maybe that marriage that you hope would stay together is not together anymore. Even though you might have kids that aren't necessarily on the right path. Uh, the commitment is to fight for your family, whatever that looks like. And to fight for this church family so we can accomplish what Peter spoke about. So we can uh, be awake to the harvest that's coming. For me personally, of course, uh, in preparing for this, when Pastor TJ said fighting for your family, um, I have to say it uh, was a tough couple of days. The devil was on my back. He was condemning me. He was reminding me of all the times where I failed and all the times where I could have been kinder with my wife or my kids or where I didn't do things right. Anybody else has moments of condemnation where the devil's on your back and reminds you of all your weaknesses and all your failures? Uh, so if you raised your hand, this message is for you right? It means there's always something beyond that. Don't get stuck in your brokenness. Don't get stuck in that place. The willingness to fight the battle is all God is asking from us. So I'm going to jump back to an Old Testament scripture about a story about a guy named Nehemiah. Uh, and he was called by God and he was called to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem or to patch them up or to fix them. But it was a very difficult time. Uh, so it wasn't just the question of building. Who knows building and construction is tough enough? Anybody ever had a building project that worked out the way they planned? It never does. Mr. Roger knows all about that. Um, but the reality is that when you're building and there's an enemy attacking at the same time, it gets very dirty, right? It gets very messy and it's sometimes tough. So in this chapter specifically, God calls them to fight. We're building, but at the same time, there's an enemy and he's attacking and we need to build this thing. We need to fix these walls. So in Nehemiah 4, verses 13 to 14, if you want to jump there in your, in your scripture or in your passages, I'll read with you. Uh, so verse 13, 13, so in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans. That clans, of course, refers to your family, those ones God has given to you out of this world, those ones that are close to you, your loved ones, with their swords, with their spears and their bows. And I looked at a rose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them, meaning do not be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So, of course, the message today is fighting for your family. Um, and fighting for your family is, is not easy. Uh, it's interesting, of course, that Nehemiah figures out something very important. He figures out that those families and the way he groups them in clans together, that there's power in that. There's something strong in that. That the groups that God has called together, the ones that God has given you out of this world to form part of your family, there's power in that. There's something very strong there. And we should realize that and understand that even when our families go through tough times. We must also realize and understand that the devil wants nothing more 
to destroy that family of yours, right? He just wants to divide and conquer. He just wants to break it apart. And we have to stand strong in that place and we have to fight that battle, including, like I said before, the battle for this church. Um, don't disqualify yourself from the battle early. Sort of what Peter even said earlier about young believers or people that haven't walked the path as long. Don't disqualify yourself from the battle. As you see later on, it's not necessarily about the skills that you bring to the table. It's about him and what he brings to the table. Right? So your marriage is worth fighting for. Can I hear an amen? amen? Your marriage is worth fighting for. Your kids are worth fighting for. Amen, right? Those that God have given you out of this world, those ones that are close to you, your version of family, this church, is worth fighting for. Amen? Amen. Don't disqualify yourself. Uh, don't disqualify yourself. And of course, the great part about it, if you read a little further down into verse 20, uh, it says, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. It's beautiful. And the statement's very clear. If you are willing to fight for your family, God will fight for you. God will fight for you. This is not you being a lone ranger. This is not you having it all figured out. This isn't you being this epic legend fighter guy or, or girl, right? This is a willingness to say, God, I'm willing to step into that place. I know there's things that are broken in my family, in the lives of those ones I love, and I'm willing to fight because I know if I fight, God will fight for us. I think we all agree he's a little bit stronger than we are, right? <laughs> Beautiful picture. It's also important that we realize that those we fight for in this world, I don't necessarily have to agree with their choices to keep fighting for them. Tough statement to make. Sometimes people make decisions and make choices in life that hurt, that go off on tangents, that go off on places, that doesn't necessarily lead to good things. I don't have to agree with them to fight for them. I can pray, I can love. I can show unconditional love even if they make choices that are hurtful to themselves or the people around them, right? You don't need to agree with people to fight for them. Make sense what I'm saying? So um, that battle normally starts on the inside. So God comes first, we put him first, and the problem is sometimes from that place we then go and say, okay, now I'm going to look at everybody around me and all their issues and I'm just going to fix all their problems. That posture, that posture won't get you anywhere, right? God says... Look inside, look inside first. I'm willing to work through you and fight those battles for you, but if you aren't even willing to look at your own heart and at your own sin and your own inadequacies, you are without any weapons, okay? So that posture, you want God to be on your side? You start from that humble place of saying, I'm willing to look inside first, and I fight from that place. So this is a cute little picture of me and Nadia um, when I was about... I don't know. How old do I look? They might be 12. I don't know. <laughs> Sheesh, scary times, long time ago. But um, it's, a, it's a cute little picture, but I, I guess sadly or to the glory of God, the background of that picture wasn't so easy. Right? We, uh, we didn't have any money. We didn't have any jobs. Nadia was pregnant. We had no place to stay. I still don't know how she got pregnant. It wasn't, I don't know. I don't, uh, <laughs> miraculous something, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but uh, it, was, uh, it was tough. And some days, even today, when we look at our marriage today and the lives we have today, we're a little astounded because we're like, why in heaven's name are we still together? Why from the brokenness in our families and the places we came from, every statistic you could read in a book would tell you no chance. No chance. Right? And, uh, and if we think back about it and if we talk about it today, there's there's something that shifted in us, even at that young age. We started going to church together. We experienced the Holy Spirit together for the first time. And there was something inside of us, a willingness, a choice, a strong stand to just say, even though we don't have it all figured out, we are going to fight. We are going to fight. I am going to look inside myself first, and I'm going to realize that I carry brokenness into this world that comes from my past and my childhood and whatever. She does the same, and we are going to knuckle down and figure this thing out. And that willingness, remember the verse I just read. If you are willing to fight, God will fight for you. It is that willingness. You don't have to have it all figured out. Just be willing. And me and Nadia, by the glory of God, we were willing back then. And God has blessed us and kept us together and kept our family together. So it's a beautiful thing.
So look inside Galatians 6 verses 4 to 5 uh, in the message is well written. It says, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given to do. And then sink yourself into that. Interesting, it's well worded. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with each other or with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Okay? Everybody willing to do that? Look inside. I have a battle. I have things to figure out first. If I'm trying to fight for my family and I fight for them out there, but I'm never willing to look inside and say, God, fix me. God, heal me. God, make me whole. It's from that place that God can really move and can really fight. A beautiful thing. So, of course, if you're trying to figure out how to fight for our families, there's nothing better than looking at the example of Jesus. So, of course, Jesus had an earthly family, mom and dad and so on, but we're talking specifically in this one, I, I use the example of how Jesus treated his disciples. Uh, and it's a beautiful image. Um, in John 17, there's a whole chapter that's sort of a surreal chapter about how Jesus actually prays for his disciples. On the next slide, you can see a beautiful picture from the Chosen series. Um, and it's, it's so beautiful how he lived and laughed and fought and cried with these disciples. If you watch The Chosen, I'm a crier. I cry the whole time when I watch that thing. It messes me up all the time. Um, but that John 17, it's so surreal. It's like God, Jesus, prays to God and, in essence, prays to himself and then prays to the disciples. But it's, it's a good example of the order of things of what God wants. First thing in that chapter, the first part of John chapter 17, it's Jesus glorifying God, and like I said, thus glorifying himself. So remember, we all know this one. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Honor him first. Worship him first. And all other things will be given unto you, right? So if you're confused about what to do, to Peter's point earlier, start there. Learn to just worship him and praise him. He will fight your battles for you. The second part of that chapter, uh, Jesus prays for the disciples, and it's a beautiful example of how he prays for them and loves for them and cares for them. And then the final part, he sort of prays for the rest of the believers and the rest of the people. So we have the same order in our lives, and God wants that order. It's no use to, to be the best missionary on the world and save everybody, but your family back home is broken and lost, right? God wants that order. Put him first. Your first church, Pastor Joseph from the Congo always used to say this. He said, my first church is my family. Those that God has given you out of this world. Don't chase anything else. Look after that first. And out of that place, go and do the rest of the things that God wants for you. Keep that order correct. You know? So as you go through John 17, uh, there's a couple of beautiful things in there. And I call it the gifts. It's basically gifts that Jesus gave his disciples. And it is gifts that we all should be giving our family members and those we love so that they can be protected and we can show them that we are fighting for them, that we care for them. And the first gift that it talks about there is the gift of presence. So uh, I think we all understand that to be present with our families is important. Not physical presence only spiritual and emotional presence. If you don't know what's going on in your family's life, if you don't reach out to people, my family are all in South Africa. I have to make work to get in close contact with my family, to figure out what's going on in their lives, to talk about the things so that we can pray for each other, we can encourage one another. There's a presence there that needs to happen. In John 17, verse 5, it says, and now, Jesus speaks to the Father, he says, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. We all realize, and fundamentally to this church, that there is power in God's presence. Everybody say presence. Presence. There is power in God's presence. It's fundamental to Trinity Community Church. And it should be fundamental to how you fight for your family. You have to be present with them. You have to know what's going on in their lives. It doesn't mean always fixing, always checking in, all bothering, which is part of what I do as a dad. I'm like, what's going on? What's going on? Uh, you know? Sometimes just being present, just knowing, right? Sometimes I sit with them and I say, I see you're going through something. You want my help? Okay. I love you. I'm present. I see you're going through something, and I will pray in the background for you. you know? That presence, also very important for me, is that presence should be fun. That presence should be enjoyable. Do you guys like being with people that isn't fun to be around? 
No. Family should be fun. It is a gift from God. Enjoy it. If you read a little further down in verse 13, Jesus says that they, my disciples, might have joy fulfilled in them, might have fullness of joy. This is not supposed to be this dreary battle of life. It's supposed to be fun. And those in my circle, those that I love, those family members, it should be fun to be together. There's another cool example in the Bible, of course, talking about marriage. Uh, Ecclesiastes 9.9. It says, enjoy life with your wife whom you love. Enjoy life. And again, I know not all of us have this perfect picture of marriage and all these things together. But those people that God has given to you out of this world that you are supposed to love, love them. Enjoy spending time with them. It is a gift. It is a gift. But for those of you that are married, loving marriages brings stability and calmness. It is a key in the kingdom when families come together and there's stability and calmness in the marriage. So good for the children. It's just a blessing from God. And again, don't disqualify yourself now because you're like, well, that's not what my life looks like. Or, I'm not married or I don't have these things. Those God has given to you out of this world. Okay? Fight for them. So for me and my family, when I talk about fun, we figured out that we love skiing. So uh, we went on a couple of ski trips recently. Those ones are sort of extravagant things. It took me like six months to buy all the skis and the boots because it's too expensive, so I had to find used things all over the place. That's my commitment as a dad. I know for my family this is going to be fun, and I'm willing to, you know, for them it's like, let's show up and ski. And for me it was like six months of, oh, you know, how much money and how much time and how much figuring it out, you know, and will the car fit everybody? Where are we going to stay? Fun doesn't always have to be big things, right? Uh, I said something inappropriate at the first service. Fun can be anything. Uh, Grace this morning was talking about she's going into a house and she's like, why are there footprints on my ceiling? Like, how does that even happen? Right? Life is fun. Enjoy it. Don't take it so seriously. Ecclesiastes, uh, and with my boys, there's always footprints somewhere. Uh, Ecclesiastes, including my car seats. Ecclesiastes 8.15 it says, so I recommend having fun because there's nothing better for people in this world than to eat, to drink, and to enjoy life. Michael Paris-Cabbage knows about the eating part. The way they will experience some happiness, or that way they will experience some happiness, along with all the hard work God's given them under the sun. Presence is not just this sort of presence thing. It is supposed to be joyful and fun to be together and to love one another. Presence also means slow to speak quick to listen, right? That's presence. And in Romans 12, 15, it says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. That is a beautiful image of presence, just being with people, just being together with them. I have a bit of a, a tough story. The next slide, you can see our family, and you can see the lovely lady there um, with a flowery dress on my mom. Uh, they were here last summer. It's just beautiful. As you can see, Nadia there is the more stable of the family. You know, <laughs> the rest of us should probably go to some special place. Um, but it's uh, it's sweet. But um, most of you know my story and the story of my mom. A lot of you know the story. But we were in South Africa on holiday, and um, mom said, "I need to have a family meeting." So we have a family meeting. She says, "I only want to talk to the guys." So it's me and my brother and my dad and mom, and we in this family meeting. And mom sort of basically goes, I just wanted to let you guys know I'm sort of done. I'm always sick. I'm always in pain. I'm always hurting. I don't really like the ministry we're in anymore. It's just too much work. I, I don't actually like the marriage that I'm in with your dad too much anymore. So I'm just, I'm just going to be out if that's okay with you guys, you know. And we were, of course, you know, strong godly men that we are. We were like, don't worry, mom. We got this. You know, so we will practically do this, and we're going to figure this out, and the job you used to do, she's going to do this, dad's going to do this, you might as well come on holiday to South Africa, we'll get a little break, perfect, you know, and of course, me and my brother, my dad's like, hands in, dudes, kumbaya, we got this, you know, and uh, the next morning, my mom, while everybody was sleeping, she, she laced up her hiking boots, uh, she hiked a couple of miles down the street to the closest drugstore she can find, uh, after that, hiked a couple of miles to a hotel room, booked herself into a hotel room, and for lack of a better explanation, cons consumed what would be a dinner plate full of medication and tried to end her own life. Okay? And clearly tough, and there's a long and big story behind that all. The good news is my mom is still around. God chose to save her right? by, by God's grace and God's mercy, and our family has learned so much from it. 
But the story is this. Sometimes those you love, we misstep. That morning, I believe, for my brother and for my dad, we could have been more present. But we tried to fix everything. There's a big difference between being present and fixing things. So I'm encouraging all of you, for those you love, be present. Be present. It doesn't mean always fixing. It definitely doesn't mean condemning and judging. Just be present. Just love them in that space. We said earlier, Jesus is God's presence, changes everything. Just be present. It's okay. Don't try and fix everything. And most importantly, also for all of us, like it has been for my family, it's been a process of healing for me and my family, you know, not to say, well, we missed it, we clearly missed it, and because of what we missed, mom then made these dramatic decisions, and that's now on us. The Bible is very clear. Each person takes responsibility for their own lives. So right now, I'm asking all of you, and maybe, won't you stand with me? I just want to pray for each one of us. Sometimes in life, we love people, and we do the best we can, and those people still make decisions that hurt, and even leads to suicide and leads to tough things. Those decisions lead to divorce and pain, and I want to just say right now, part of this breakthrough is about giving that back to God. So I want you to bow your heads with me and say, God, we just, we just ask, Father God, that those places in life where we maybe have not been as present as we should have, where maybe we stumbled over our words, where we maybe didn't just love unconditionally, uh, and that led to people and the ones we love and the ones you've given us out of this world to make decisions that are hurtful, that are broken, that leads to divorces and deaths and suicides and all these tough things in this world. Father, we just, those places of hurt inside of us, Father, by the power of your Spirit right now for everybody listening to this, we pray that you would heal those places in us, Father, that you would make it whole, that we would release those things to you, Father, and we would trust you by your grace and your mercy. You have a plan for all those things. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Don't hold on to those things. Don't hold on to those places. Each person makes a decision for themselves. Um, it sucks sometimes, <laughs> for lack of a better term. But uh, God's got a plan. God's in control, right? The second big gift uh, that you see there in, in, um, in John 17 is the gift of knowing God. Jesus clearly knows his Father. The whole chapter is him intimately praying to his Father. If you want to be in a position to fight for your family... You have to know God. You have to spend time with God. Not super intergalactic, I've been a believer for 50 years. There needs to be something in you that says, I want to know more of this God guy. In that position, God can move, God can flow through you. Right? So in John 17 verse 6, it says, Jesus speaks and he says, I have revealed you as in Jesus has revealed God the Father to those whom you gave me out of this world. Right? Our job is to reveal God to those ones we love. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they obeyed your word. For I have given them the words you gave me. It's not my words, right? Who knows that God's word is stronger than yours? Our job is, I know God, I take His Word, and I live with His Word, right? If my kid believes he's not good enough, I speak God's Word over his life, and I say, God says, you are loved, you are perfect, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I speak God's words over his life. That is more powerful than my own words will ever be, right? And they received them, and they came to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Knowing God is a gift, and if I say, I want to fight for my family, I look inside myself first and I say, my first step is I need to know God. I need to chase after Him. My family will see that. Those I love will see that. And that leads to understanding God's character, God's truth. That's what we're after. We're after Him first. Again, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all other things will be given unto you. It's also important that sometimes in that seeking after God, that knowing God, we believe that we should be, I don't know what, I'm guilty of this, this sort of criticizing, condemning, judging. You have to do this right. You have to do this right. You have to have these things figured out. That's not the God we serve. That's not the God we serve, right? In Ephesians 6 verses 4, it says, And now a word to you, parents. 
Don't keep on scolding, nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. Rather bring them up in loving discipline the Lord himself approves with suggestions and godly advice. Sometimes us, we know God means then we want to become God. And we believe from our perspective that God is this rule-following, harsh guy that everything has to be perfect. And clearly it says there, with suggestions and godly advice. Anybody ever tried to tell a teenager exactly what he needs to do? Anybody? How did that work out? Exactly, right? Uh, I can give you. So suggestions, it's a loving thing. It is a suggestion. It is not this rigid thing. Remember, we said it needs to be fun. It needs to be enjoyable. And this is not only true for kids. This is true for marriages. Anybody with that one? Tried to tell your wife, this is how it will be. Uh, I, I think I tried that once, and I still have a, I still have a limp. <laughs> uh, um, so, and that's the same also for this church. That's the same also for this church. We are not in this church because we're rigid. This is how this church should be. This is what this church should be, right? We listen to God and we follow His direction because it's His church and He's the one building it. Okay? In Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 and 7, or 5 to 7, it says, And you must love the Lord your God. Uh, I don't know where that is. And you should love the Lord your God with all your soul and all your strength. And you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands that I've given you today. Love the Lord your God. Give a commitment to Him. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. We talk about God. We want to know God. If I know God's character and I know Him closely, I live in that place. Who knows? closer I get to God, the more He rubs off on me, right? And the more He rubs off on me, the more my character starts forming into his and I listen and I speak the way he speaks not the way I want to speak right I just speak out of brokenness mostly okay if we know God and we understand his character we know that God wants God wants our family to grow those ones we love he wants us to get better he wants us to mature and the beauty about it there's some things in families that you will learn in families that you don't want to learn in the rest of the world right there's things that are meant to happen in that close those ones you love type of environment a couple of those things are families know that we, we are uh, not families that talk too much. It's our actions that speak louder, right? How we act, how we do things is more important than what we say all the time. Families know that uh, in families we learn emotions and we learn feelings. We learn to experience those things together. In families we learn how to handle conflict and fighting. Anybody had some fighting there? Can you glorify God and say when we fight in our family, it's because he wants us to learn something from it, right? It's a beautiful thing. It sucks when it's happening, but it's a beautiful thing. We learn from it, right? We want to grow. We want to mature. We can't be absent of the battles of this life. We have to fight them. That's how we grow beyond them, okay? In families, we learn to handle loss and pain. Loss of those things we love, the pet dog that died, a family member that lied, we learn to handle loss. In families, we learn how to lose on the soccer field also. And we figure out what it takes to get back up again. You can do this. Keep going. We learn that in families. In families, we learn what matters most. In families, we learn about love and about grace and about forgiveness. Families are a beautiful thing. And again, don't be stuck in the nucleus of the perfect family means husband, wife, kids. The families, those that God has given you. Right? Those ones that are close to you, those that he's called for you to love. The third thing that uh, Jesus shows us um, in, in John chapter 17 and what he gives the gift to his disciples and the gift we should give to our families is the gift of protection. Okay? We need to protect. So, of course, there's different ways of protecting. Uh, in John 17 verse 12, it says, Jesus says again, While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe. And then verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of this world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Right? That you protect them from the evil one. As a, as a person that wants to fight for your family, the main and most important thing you can do is pray. Okay? Not your battle, God's battle. You pray. And we know sometimes when those ones we love are off on their thing that leads to hurt and to pain and to suffering, you can't get to them. They wanna, don't want to hear from you. They don't want to speak to you. All you can do is pray. All you can do is pray. There's nothing else to do. There is, of course, also practical protection, especially for those that have kids, right? You. You have to 
You have to know what your kids are watching. What are they looking at? Who are they hanging out with? There's practical protection that needs to happen too. It's important. So make sure you are in that place. But I still believe above everything else, the biggest protection you can give your family is protecting them means pointing out the evil one. What happens in families? We start fighting with each other. We start turning towards each other and we start believing that the person I'm fighting with is the evil one. And then the devil wins. So the biggest thing you can do for your family, big or small, those ones you love, when tough times come, identify the evil one. Make sure you see him for what he is. He wants to see, kill, and destroy. He's not for you. He's against you, right? Make sure you see that. Don't make the battle between people. Make the battle there. I've done this many times with my kids and with my family members, but sometimes when we're in that battle and we're fighting with each other and you realize, wait a second, we're losing focus here. We're fighting with each other and not with the evil one or the problem. We take something physical, a cup or something, and we put it on the table and we say, hold on. Let's just come to this side of the table. Let's stand next to each other. Look at the cup. The cup is the evil one. I'm angry today. Let's talk about your anger. Let's not talk about you and how weak you are and how bad you are. Let's talk about the evil. Let's talk about the battle out there. And we decide in unity we're fighting that battle together. Right? Different perspective. So if I want to protect my family, I want to point out the evil one. I do not protect my family by keeping pain and suffering away from them. We all live a life that is filled with pain and suffering sometimes. I want my kids and those ones around me to mature and to grow. They have to feel it on their skin. Do I protect the three-year-old because he's about to fall off the wall? Sure. When the 15-year-old wants to climb on the wall, I say, Ooh, dude, be careful, but make your own choice. Right? That's how we raise them. I don't tell the 15-year-old, no, get down, you're going to get hurt, you're going to get hurt. This is not the way we live life. We raise them up. We want them to mature. And that means sometimes the pain of this life, they will feel it on their skin. But they need to know that when the pain comes, I'm right there. God is right there. I got your back no matter what. I got your back. But don't protect by believing you need to keep pain away and just keep suffering and struggles away. That is part of life. And that's how we mature through those things, right? Don't let the world shock them with evil things. Prepare them for the world, right? Prepare them for the battle that's ahead of them. This has never been promised to be an easy life. Prepare them. Let them know. Don't let your young son or your young daughter or family member be shocked by how evil the world can be. Prepare them. Age appropriately. Prepare them. Let them know what's coming. Because what? You want them to, the armor we were talking about this morning. You want them to figure out, how do I pick up that shield? How do I put my hat on? What sword do I use? You want them to learn to fight the battle. Okay? It's important. In Matthew 5, verse 45, the, the second part of the verse, it says, He causes His Son, this is God, His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you raise people and the ones in your loving circle are, are oblivious to the reality of this life, it's going to beat them down. Sometimes you have to show them. Let them experience it. Make them aware. Point out the evil one. Okay? Very important. And the last and the fourth one, uh, a very amazing example of how Jesus treated his disciples. The fourth part about that gift that Jesus gives to his disciples is the gift of release. Okay? Full development will only happen when they go into the world and they experience it for themselves. You can't do this. You can't protect everybody all the time. You can't keep everything away from everybody. You have to let people walk it out. You have to let them feel it on their skin a little bit. So in uh, chapter 17, verse 18, it says, As you sent me into the world, saying God sent Jesus into the world, so Jesus says, I have sent them into this world. He sends his disciples, and we are sitting here today because of those disciples, those young men, and the battle they fought. Jesus prepared them. He spent time with them. He coached them. He protected them with them. He was present with them. He loved them. And in that place, it was because he was raising them up so he could release them so they could fight the battles. Did many of those battles turn out well? Some of them turned out bad, right? It is a willingness to fight for the kingdom. It is a willingness to step out there. But we can't do that if we're not emotionally mature. 
We can't do that with a loving family if we're just trying to hold them back and be careful and watch out. They have to grow. We all have to grow. And if you think about the principle of discipleship and the way Jesus treated his disciples, I am a disciple. You are all disciples. You need to be in a place in your life where people can speak into your life and you can learn from them and they can see your blind spots and say, hey, watch out there, be careful there. And so for my children and those ones in that loving circle, I see them as disciples too, right? I am there to coach them, to help them, to guide them, but I don't live their lives for them. They are disciples because they need to be released into this world right? This church needs to release people to go fight for the kingdom, right? I'm thinking of Christina Cho now, right? She's out there. She was released from this house to go fight for the kingdom. We need to do that. That release is needed. And she did it by coming into this house, spending time here, being loved in this place, experiencing the spirit for the deep, first intimate way, and then saying, I am empowered by that spirit. Let me go. And this is the example that Jesus did with the disciples too. Jesus wasn't, okay, you all got it prepared and I'm off, right? Nice on the clouds floating up to heaven. Jesus says, wait, and what's going to come? The Spirit will come, and the Spirit will empower you. Just like that first verse is in Nehemiah, right? It is, are you willing to fight? Are you willing to step into that place? Because if you're willing to fight, God will fight for you. This is not a one-man show. He fights for you, and just like the disciples The Spirit comes and He fights for us and He fights with us. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't need to be perfect. You don't need to be, to Peter's point, this mature believer that's been doing it for 30 years and know every scripture and every part. Just be you. Tell people about your story. Be willing to fight. If you are willing to fight, God will fight for you. And we still, within that, when we release the ones we love, there's prodigal son stories where we release the ones we love and they make decisions that are hurtful and tough. And for us as believers, the key is that that path back needs to always be open, right? Sometimes those go and they make the decisions and they end up eating with the pigs like the prodigal son did. And it hurts to see people do that. It hurt me that morning when my mom walked out the door, right? And I can go and say it's condemning and it's my fault and I should have done better. Or I can trust that those people make their decisions for themselves. But I have to know and I have to, on my side, always make sure they know that the path to redemption is always open. The path back is always filled with love, unconditionally. When that prodigal son came back, he wasn't required to be clean first. He wasn't required to be perfect first. This father just said, come back. It's okay, right? Let's be that type of church. Let's be that type of people. When the battle is out there, then we can fight the battle that way. We fight the battle with our presence because it's God's presence we're after. We fight the battle by knowing God because He is the one that makes the change. He is the one that fights the battle for you. We fight the battle to protect because He is the one that ultimately protects, right? Not because we're special, because of Him. So I have another little story that I'll finish with, and it's just a good story to just sort of sum this up a little bit. But uh, in in some of the, you know, I'm from South Africa, but in some of the tribes in Africa, my wife was specific. She's like, just tell them it's some of the tribes, you know? So meaning I didn't do this. But in in some of the tribes, when children have a coming-of-age ceremony, it's quite a big thing. So normally around the age of 13 or 14, they have this coming-of-age ceremony. And normally... The dad would take the the girl or the son and basically walk them for a day into the bush um, where it gets a a little wild and a little scary. And they would leave them there for the night. Okay, So they would walk them out. They would make them sit down in a spot. They would actually blindfold them in that spot. And they would tell them, your job to grow into maturity is to sit on this rock tonight. Keep quiet. Don't take the blindfold off. And wait for the sun to come up. And when the sun comes up, then you find your way back to the village. And when you get back to the village, you are considered an adult. Interesting concept, right? So for all of us, just think a little bit. You can think about it in your, in your mind's eye from a couple of different perspectives. Clearly in Africa, when things go uh, bump in the night, those things tend to hurt and kill. <laughs> it's, not, uh, it's not a safe nighttime, I would say, in Africa. But the question is, if, if you were sitting there in the dark, 
what would come out of you? Would you run? Would you cry? Would you hide? If you left one of those that God has given you out of this world to sit in that spot, what would you do for them? Could you leave them there? Could you leave them there? Or would you sort of stand around the corner and and whisper, it's going to be okay. Or pick up the blindfold, it's going to be okay. You can see the stars, it's not so bad. I'm right here, I'm right here. And would you keep whispering to try and calm them down and protect them? And would your whispers be so loud that it would drown out the voice of God? God is the one that protects. God is the one that guides. God is the one that does all these things. It's not us. And when we try to be so overprotective and we take over God's place in people's lives, we don't give them the opportunity to grow and to mature and to go beyond themselves. So don't take God's place. I forgot to say this in the previous uh, service, but you know the beauty about that story? The next morning when the kid takes their blindfold off, Their dad is sitting right there, waiting. Their dad is sitting right there. He sat there the whole night, watching quietly. As those we love grow in maturity and grow in faith, because we have to release them to go fight the battle of this world. They are lost souls. They are people that are lost. This church, this kingdom, those you have been giving out of this world, fight for them. Because if you fight for them, say it with me, God will fight for you, right? So I pray right now that you would just uh, be willing, be willing, even though it doesn't look like you think it should look like, be willing to fight that battle, even if it's not exactly uh, the worldly image. Figure out who those ones are that God has given you out of this world and be willing to fight. So Chip's going to play a worship song with us now, and I ask you all to stand with me. When he's done with the worship song, you are, you're free to leave. But I, I will challenge you that if you believe your family is perfect and everything is great and you've got no problems, then just enjoy the worship song and leave. If you believe that you need to step up a little bit and your willingness to fight the battle needs to be there and you want God to wake up your heart again and say, God, I'm willing to fight for those you've given me out of this world. Be willing to fight. Be willing to fight. In Joshua 24, verse 15, it says, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. But for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. No matter what comes, we're seeking His presence. We're seeking His protection. seeking His wisdom in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Worship with us. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.